Good evening and welcome to New Hope Church. This is a part of worship that we get to continue praising our Lord through our uh, resources, our, our tithes, and our offerings. You know, and in the Word it says that the Lord loves a cheerful giver. And so I got to thinking, what is a cheerful giver? And it's, and it's a person that has a relationship with Jesus. You know, a lot of times when I'm greeting people and talking to people inside the fellowship hall or just out and about, um, they have little kids and they'll tell you, oh, go say hi to uncle, go say hi to uncle, give uncle a hug or this and that. But they're very reluctant because they don't know me. But the ones that do know me, they want, they give you a hug and, and they embrace you. And that's kind of like us with our Lord. If we know our Lord Jesus Christ and the things that he's done for us, the confidence and the security that he's given us, we joyfully give, not only to the Lord, but to others. Um, you know, your family members, your friends, when there's a birthday of a friend, you go to a party, you give gifts and you give with a smile. But have you ever received a gift from a person that's begrudgingly giving you a gift? You know, you don't want to take it. It's like, oh, I'm sorry, take it back, get your money back. It's, it's up to you. But that's like our Lord. He loves us to have that relationship, that joy, that, that presence of mind that you would just love to give to his family. And his family is us. The ones that we reach out in the neighborhood, one relationship at a time. The brother that's down on his luck that you need to uh, help lift up, buy him a meal maybe. Give him a couple of dollars to, to find a place to stay for a night where you can shower and clean up. You know, there's all kinds of things. But there's times that the Lord will speak to you about joyfully giving. And this could be one of them, but it's not limit, limited to just this place. It's where we live. It's our community. You know, um, my wife asked me a question the other day. If New Hope ceased to exist, would we be missed in the neighborhood? So are we making an impact in our neighborhood? And I, I, I could confidently say yes, because I know you guys live in this neighborhood. I know that you guys serve our neighbors. May not be knocking them over the head with the, the Bible or something, but you're sharing the love of Christ. You are cheerfully giving to our Lord in ways of acts, material things, and just simply loving who God is. But he does love a joyful giver. giver. And I, I love tithing to my church. I love what we do. And I give way beyond when we're just walking through the streets. So anyway, let's pray over the offerings and um, have this part of the service continue worshiping our Lord. Lord, I just thank you for this time. I thank you, Lord, that you are here with us at this time in this midst. I ask that you'd be with the service tonight, um, just speaking through our pastor, speaking the truth, the love, the relationships that we have in Jesus. I thank you for the time that we get to do our part in reaching the lost, one relationship at a time. And Lord, it's just a joy um, to give because we know you, I know you. And I just hope everybody knows who you are when they give and they give with a joy and a happiness. Lord, we love you and I thank you, amen. Okay, as we journey through the Bible, we're going through the book of Deuteronomy in this video, so please enjoy this video. The book of Deuteronomy is the fifth book of the Bible and the final book of the Torah. 
After the exodus from Egypt, Israel was at Mount Sinai for one year, entering into a covenant with their God. And then they had the disastrous road trip through the wilderness, and the exodus generation disqualified themselves from entering into the land promised to Abraham. And so Deuteronomy begins with Moses standing in front of this new generation explaining the Torah. And it's from here that the design and purpose of the book unfolds. Deuteronomy is a series of speeches from Moses where he's calling the next generation of Israel to be faithful to the covenant with their God. At the center of the book is a collection of laws, which are the terms of the covenant between God and Israel. Some of the laws are new, but many are repeated from the laws given earlier at Mount Sinai. And that's actually where this book gets its name, from a Greek word, deuteronomion, which means a second law. Now, surrounding these laws are two outer sections of Moses' speech. Each of these are broken up into two parts themselves. Let's just dive in and we'll see how this whole thing works. So Moses, first of all, summarizes the story so far, and he highlights how rebellious the previous generation was in contrast with God's constant grace and provision in the wilderness. And God did bring his justice on them, yes, but he did not abandon his covenant promises. After this comes a series of very passionate sermons where Moses calls on this new generation to be more faithful than their parents were to the covenant. He reminds them of the Ten Commandments, and then the centerpiece of the section is a famous line called the Shema. Moses says, listen, Israel, the Lord is our God, the Lord alone, and you shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, and with all of your might. This became a very important daily prayer in Judaism, and it brings all of the themes of the book together. So the word listen, or shema in Hebrew, it means much more than just to hear. Its meaning includes responding to what you hear, or in English we would say obey. And the word love in Hebrew also means much more than just an emotion or feeling. It's about a decision of wholehearted devotion to God that involves your will and your emotions, your mind and your heart. Now, for Israel, their obedience and devotion to God served a much larger purpose. Obedience to the laws is going to make Israel a unique people among the nations. Just like God said at Mount Sinai, they will become a kingdom of priests. And Moses now says, how? Israel has the chance by following the laws to show the whole world the wisdom and the justice of God. The other key idea in the Shema is that Israel was called to obey and be devoted to the Lord alone. Or literally, in Hebrew, it says, the Lord is one. Now, in context, the point is that the Lord is the one God Israel is to worship and obey. Israel is about to go into the land of Canaan, where people worship idol gods that represent all different aspects of creation. The sun, the weather, sex, and war. And in Moses' view, worshiping these gods degrades humans and destroys communities. But worshiping the God of Israel, who's the creator and the redeemer, that will lead to life and blessing. And so we come to the large collection of laws at the center of the book. And they're roughly arranged by topic. So the opening section is about Israel's worship of their God. They were to have one central temple where one God would be worshipped. And also, God was to be worshipped in Israel's care for its poor. So for example, all Israelites were to set aside one-tenth of their annual income to be given to the temple. But another tenth was to be set aside every three years and given to the poor. And these are the kinds of laws that put Israel on the cutting edge of justice in comparison to their ancient neighbors. And it was all bound up with their worship of God. The next section outlines the character qualities of Israel's leaders. So the elders, the priests, the kings, these were all placed under the authority of the covenant laws, which God said that he would enforce by sending prophets to keep the leaders accountable. So in contrast to Israel's neighbors, where kings were thought of as divine and a law unto themselves, Israel's leaders were subordinate to the law and the prophets. Following this is a large section of laws about Israel's civil life, so rules about marriage and family and business, and also about social justice, about their legal system and how it was to protect widows and orphans and immigrants. And then these are concluded by more laws about worship. Now, here's some tips for reading all of these laws. Remember, first of all, these are the terms of the Sinai Covenant given specifically to ancient Israel, living in a culture that's very different from yours. And so two, it's not going to be helpful to compare these laws with modern laws from a very different culture. Rather, these were given to set Israel apart. And so we need to compare these laws with those of Israel's neighbors, like in Assyria or Babylon. And when you do that, all of a sudden laws that seemed harsh or bizarre become much more clear. You see that God is pushing Israel to a higher level of justice than was ever known before. 
And so finally, try to discern what core principles of wisdom or justice underlie any particular law, and you'll discover some really profound things. So here's an extra credit assignment. Go see how Paul the Apostle does this very thing in his first letter to the Corinthians, chapter 9, verse 9, and he quotes a law from Deuteronomy, chapter 25, verse 4. It's really interesting. So back to Moses. After he goes through all of the laws, he issues a final challenge that Israel should listen to and love their God. He first issues a warning and an ultimatum. If Israel listens to and obeys their God, everything's going to go great, lots of divine blessing. But if they don't listen and rebel, famine, plague, devastation, and ultimately exile from the land. And then Moses forces a decision. He says, today I set before you all life or death, blessing or curse, goodness or evil. So choose life by loving the Lord your God and listening to him. But then Moses says this. He says, I know that after I die, you're going to rebel and turn away from God and end up in exile, which is kind of a downer. But then again, he's been with these people for decades and it becomes clear that his hopes are not very high. But all is not lost, Moses says. One day, when Israel is sitting in exile, at any point, Moses says, they can turn back to their God, who will, in his words, circumcise your hearts so that you may love him with all your heart and soul and live. Now, this is a vivid metaphor that's saying something is fundamentally wrong with Israel's heart. It's stubborn and hard. And it's the same thing wrong with the heart of all of humanity. This is going all the way back to the rebellion in the garden. Humans seized autonomy from God. They wanted to define good and evil for themselves, and they ruined God's good world as a result. But one day, Moses says, God is going to do something to transform the hearts of his people so that they can truly listen to and love God from the heart and be led back to true life. And this is the promise that gets picked up by the later biblical prophets, Jeremiah and Ezekiel, the hope for a new heart. So Moses ends his speech with a poem of warning and then of blessing, and then he walks up onto a mountain and he dies. And so the Torah draws to a close. All of the major plot tensions of the biblical story are in place, but left totally unresolved. So when is the descendant of the woman going to come and defeat evil? Or how is God going to rescue the whole world and bless all nations through this family? And how can God's holiness be reconciled with people who are continually rebellious? And how is God going to transform the hearts of his people? You just have to keep reading to find out. But for now, that's what the book of Deuteronomy is all about. Well, if you've been with us through the past couple of weeks, then you, you're noticing that we are going through the Bible in this entire year, and we're doing every single week at least a book of the Bible. Sometimes we'll do two, but depending on how long the book is, sometimes we only do half. So the good news is that if you're doing devotions with us and you're reading through the Bible in an entire year, then you're reading along with us. And there are certain things that you're going to catch, even some things in the video that you might have learned or something that has been reiterated to you or maybe something that uh, is, is you're, you're now curious about. I wonder what that's all about. And when it comes to the book of Deuteronomy, Deuteronomy means the second law. But it's the same law. It's the same laws of God. But it's like God saying, I need to tell you again. I think we've grown up with our parents that, has to, that had to tell us over and over again certain things. I don't think any of us were told one time to do something and then we obeyed. I mean, wouldn't that be great if our children obeyed us after we spoke just one time? I mean, that would be so good. And I think that's the heart of God. He would love it if we would obey him right after he speaks to us one time. But we're human beings and as human beings, we tend to go back to our own ways. We tend to think things through in how we would want it to be. But God's way is always the best way so that when he speaks it to us, even though we may not understand everything, when he speaks to us, he also gives us a way in which to obey him. And in this case, with the Israelites, he's giving them once again the law again. The problem with the Israelites and which we relate to, is that even though we're set free from our past sins, even though Jesus died for us, we still sometimes revert back to our old ways. And that's what was happening with Israel. Israel 
kept wanting to go back to Egypt because that's where they were enslaved. That's where they were free from. And now they're going into the promised land. And God is saying, okay, I'm going to reiterate to you again my laws, my ways, and how we're going to be governed because you need direction. Lest left to yourselves, you're going to continue to wander and be lost. So I'm going to give you a way, and I'm going to guide you every step of the way. When you were in Egypt, you were slaves, but now you're set free. But because you're free, you're going to need some parameters, you're going to need some reminding, and you're going to need some guidance along the way. Otherwise, and just like us, if we don't have guidance, everything guides us. Our emotions guide us, the media will guide us, our friends will guide us, and sometimes even our enemies will guide us. So tonight, hopefully, we can learn some things from the book of Deuteronomy. And if you, have, if you use the church app, you're, you're gonna be, uh, you can take that out and then follow along and take some notes. Or if you're going to just write down some notes, we're going to be talking about how to stay faithful. And if you want to write that title down, stay faithful. Because that word faithful, we can only understand what faithful means if we go to the true source of what faithfulness is. Because Faithful means what you say you are, you continue to be. What you say you're going to do, you follow through. So when it comes to staying faithful, the best place to go back to when it comes to faithfulness is God himself. And the interesting thing is God was faithful and is still faithful even though he deals with rebellious children. Even though he dealt with a rebellious people, even though the people of Israel continue to fight against the things of God. But now he's saying, I'm going to give you these laws again because there's a new generation coming in that has not seen what you have seen. In fact, from Exodus, those, those who were in the Exodus out of Egypt, they all died before entering the promised land except for Caleb and Joshua, because they were the ones that when they spied out the lands, they were the only two that said, we can do this, because they understood that God is always faithful. So my question is this. Let's just say we had a, a scale from 1 to 10, and it showed on our forehead our faithfulness in different areas. Just, just randomly it would pop up faithfulness in, in uh, my word, faithfulness in my integrity, faithfulness in relationships, faithfulness in, in the things I said to God. Because I think we've all been there where we said, no, 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 I'm going to change. I'm going to be different. Or we've even said to God, God, if you pull, if you pull through, if you come through with my prayer and, and, and you, you, you help me with this, then I will serve you for the rest of my life. Like we make vows like that with God. And God knows that, you know, he knows our heart, that that's our intention. But many of us are not able to follow through with what we said to God. And so God still remains faithful even though we're unfaithful. I'm thankful that we don't have that screen on our head lest we all start judging one another. But if we come to faithfulness, isn't it true that God has been faithful? That no matter what has happened in our lives, he has remained faithful through everything that we go through. So as Moses gives Israel these final words of warning and blessing in the book of Deuteronomy, actually at the end of Moses' life, he doesn't even enter the promised land, but he does call the people to a covenant of faithfulness. He says, this is the agreement that God had with us, therefore we can have this agreement with him. We can be in this covenant with God. We can be in this relational situation with God where he's faithful to us, therefore we can be faithful to him. And Moses does his very best to give charge to Israel to listen and obey rather than to do their own thing or to rebel because they know where that goes. But he sees Israel's future as bleak and a little dark and unsure. But Moses does his very best to stay faithful to the end with who God called him to be. And even though it may have seemed discouraging for Moses, he still did his part. I think sometimes we get discouraged because we don't see other people doing their part. And in a marriage, that can happen. In the marriage, it can be, well, you didn't do your part, so therefore I'm not going to do mine. It can even happen in ministry. They're not serving like me, therefore I'm discouraged. 
But what Moses did is he said, even though the people rebel, God, I'm going to stay faithful to you because you've been faithful to me. And even though Moses went through some ups and downs, he finished strong to the end of his life. And I think that might be a word for all of us tonight that maybe, even though we may have our ups and downs, every day let's finish the day strong. Let's finish the day being faithful with God, being faithful to God, and staying faithful to who he has called us to be because he's the one that gives us our identity. We're going to look at three things that will help us from the book of Deuteronomy to stay faithful. And these, these are everyday practices that can help us. The first thing is this, to review often, often, review often what God has already spoken. Just review often what God has already spoken because God will always speak to us, especially if you're in the word of God. If you're in the word of God, he's going to speak something to you and I. He's going to say something. And when he speaks something, we obey. Now, we're like, like, like our children. We'll say something and then they'll listen for a little bit and then they'll do their own thing after a while. But when God says something and he repeats it over and over and over again, it's not for us to just do something. God speaks to us in such a way because he's trying to help us to become someone. God, God could care less about what we do. He's more concerned about the heart behind why we do what we do. Why? Because the heart determines who we are, and who we are is going to determine our action. So God wants to correct us here in our heart, and that's what was happening with Israel. He wants to correct us in our heart. And whatever God has already spoken in my anger, maybe God has already spoken to me that you're so quick to be angry. And I remember God speaking that, that you, you're so short-tempered, Sheldon. You're so quick to be angry. Why do you get angry so quickly? I said, me? It's because Heidi. It's because my kids. It's because so-and-so. He says, no, but why are you so quick to become angry? There's something else. No, it's this person, that person. They did this. And God says, no, let's keep going, keep trying, keep trying. And then God brings it all the way down to the root of why I am the way I am. Why I get angry in certain situations. Or why I get frustrated at, at, at different people. Or He says, here's what's happening in your heart. That's where you got to correct it. Because if I don't correct it there, it doesn't matter if the situation changes, I still remain the same still waiting for another opportunity to happen, and then I blow up again. So God comes back to the heart of everything. But we got to review often when he speaks to us. Sometimes he'll speak to us in an addiction, and he'll say, hey, this is not good for you. It's not healthy for you. And then we say, okay, God, I'm going to obey you. We come to church. We hear God speak something. We get into his word. He speaks something. And then we say, okay, God, we're, we're, I'm, I'm good. I'm good. And then we have the strength for it only to revert back because we forgot to review often what God has already spoken. What about our fears when it comes to our fears? Sometimes God will speak something, oh, we'll, get, we'll have so much courage, but then we revert back to our old and not the new because we forgot to review again what God has already spoken. You know what the Bible calls that? The Bible calls that meditation. That you meditate on the word of God continuously. You meditate. It actually comes from the word that when a, a cow chews its cud, because the cows have multiple stomachs, they'll vomit it out and then eat it again, vomit it out, and then eat. Sorry, I'm being a little gross right now. But that's what the word of God says. You take in the word of God, let it digest a little bit, bring it back out, check it out, okay, bring it back in, take it out again, and oh, bring it back in. Because normally what happens is God's word is cleaning us. Because sometimes the word of God will come in and then we'll get frustrated and certain things will come to the surface and then we'll blame and then God says, okay, good. That's the, those things need to come to the surface. Now you know what I'm trying to work on. Okay, I got to work on these things. Okay, good. And he says, meditate on my word day and night. Meditate. Review often what I have already spoken to you with your fears, spiritual health, your maturity, how you love others, how you speak to other people, trusting in me, giving to me, just repeat or, or review what God has already said, what he has already spoken. It's almost like we're saying, okay, God, I want to do this. I, wanna, I, I want you to bless me here. And God says, well, did you take care of this? No, 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 but let's do this. And he says, oh, I, I, this is where I'm blessing you because this is going to affect everything else. 
We do that with our children. Mom, dad, can I have some more pizza? Well, you didn't even finish the one on your plate. Yeah, I'm not going to give you another one until you finish that one. And my grandchildren, I have three grandchildren and they're boys, especially when it comes to like pizza or poke or, you know, foods that, that are, they really, really like, because there are three of them, and you might have grown up in a family that has, you know, many siblings, you have to eat as many as you can because that's it. It's gone. But what they do is they put on their plate and then they take from the main dish and I'm saying, hey, hang on, eat, eat what you already have. God says, I've already spoken to you. So be faithful, review often what I've already spoken to you. And God will repeat himself over and over again and remind us that we need to listen and respond. That's the whole heart behind Deuteronomy 6, verses 4 through 9. That this is the most important of all commandments. And Jesus himself reiterated this when he walked the earth. He says, it says, hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. So when the Bible says, hear, O Israel, that means listen to respond. Listen to do something about it, not just to hear. Love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, with all of your strength. These commandments that I give to you today are to be on your Hearts. Now notice, when God wrote the Ten Commandments, where did he write them? Where did he chisel them on? Yeah, stone tablets. God came out with the first iPad. So these commandments I give you today no longer are going to be on stone. It's now going to be carved and written on your hearts. He says, this will be with you for your entire life. It's carved on your hearts. Impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home, when you walk along the road, when you lie down, and when you get up. Tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them on your foreheads. Write them on the door frames of your houses and on your gates. You know what God is saying? Everywhere you go, love me. Everywhere you go, be reminded of who I am and who I'm making you to be. Everywhere you go, every thought you have, every, every time you're with your children, remind them often what I've already spoken. Remind them how much I love them. Remind them how much security you have in me. Remind them often, continuously, what I've, what I've said. I remember doing marriage counseling, and, I, and I'll still do that once in a while, where I will tell the married couple, because they're, you know, they'll explain to me what's happening. They'll explain to me what's going on, and they'll let me know 100% whose fault it is. All the time. Like nothing changes. The arguments are still the same, just different people. That's all it is. The same argument, just different people. Which tells me this. It's not the person, it's the spirit. It'll always be that spirit. So they would come in and then they would kind of let me know what's happening. And I'll say, okay, okay. And then I'll, I'll ask a simple question. Are you in the word of God? And it's just a simple question. Just a simple question, are you in the word of God? And there are so many reasons why they're not in the word of God. Well, no more time for the word of God. You know, uh, I don't understand the word of God. Or, well, if she read the Bible, then I would read the Bible. Or if he read the Bible, then I'd read the Bible. So they, I just asked a simple question. Are you in the word of God? And when they're not in the word of God... I give him simple instruction. I say, do this. Get into the word of God. Listen to his voice because he's going to give you instruction. Okay? Let's pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Then they'll go, go back. Go back home. Come back the next time. And then same thing. You know, she don't do this. And you know, he don't do this. So like back and forth. Back and forth. And so I ask them a simple question. Are you in the word of God? Well, we started off good. We started, it was really good, Johnny. It was really good. Yeah, it was really good. We prayed together. It was really good. And we, we kept going. We kept going. Okay, yeah, but how, are you in the word of God now? Well, no, no. You know why? Because we're busy. This is happening. This is happening. I said, okay, so if you're not faithful being in the word of God, what makes you think the heart is going to change? And why... Should we continue meeting if what God has already spoken, you're not even doing? Oh, so you're saying you don't like meet with us? No, no, no. I'm saying, how about we meet with God? Because if God can't help you, 
what can I do? See, when we say we can't be in the Word of God, I don't have time to be in the Word of God, that's a result of us spending all of our time doing something else. Those words to say, I don't have time for God, is a result of something else. That's not, the, that's not the issue. The issue is I don't have time for God. We all have how many hours in a day? 24 hours. Every single person is busy. Everyone is busy. You, you, could, you could look in a family, at a family who has 11 children. And they, you know, husband and wife work two jobs. And they're in the word of God. Because they need Jesus. Because they have 11 children. They make time to be in the word of God lest all their children die. Versus someone who has no family. Single person. And cannot find time for God. The person with 11 children are like, oh, you got to be kidding me. You don't have time? How can you not have time? Oh, I wish I was single. No offense, honey, but I wish I was single. I would have all the time in the world. Then you have someone who is single, who does spend time with the Lord. And then you have someone who has 11 children, saying, if I was single, I would be be able to have time with the Lord. Then I would have enough time. You, because you don't have any responsibility, you can be in the word of God. Spending time with God is not a matter of how much time we have. Spending time with God is a matter of what we do with the time God gives to us. What are we doing with the time we've been given? Because God's going to speak. And he will speak often. He will review speaking to us. But if he keeps saying the same thing over and over again, it's a good indication that this is something powerful that God wants to happen in our lives. Whatever it may be, God would, he, because he sees the future, he sees the potential, so he's going to speak it. He's going to speak it over and over because he's waiting for us to receive his blessings and his promises. That's why it's called Deuteronomy. The second law. But it's what I've already said. Because I have promises for you. Review often what God has already spoken. The second thing is to respond heart first. Heart first to obey. Heart first. Heart first. Everything we got in our heart. It is often said in in athletics and sports, never despise the heart of a champion. Never despise the heart of a champion. Because it's the heart of an athlete that causes them to do what they normally wouldn't do if they didn't have the heart of a champion. They could be injured. They could be, you know, uh, just uh, fatigued and not doing uh, well physically. They may be under the weather. They may be feeling sick or have the flu. But because they have that heart and determination, they're going to do whatever it takes to accomplish the mission ahead, to do what needs to be done Why? Because now they're responding with heart, not emotion, not a playbook, not what the scoreboard says. Everything is heart first. So when it comes to the kingdom of God, he's looking for people who will respond to him heart first. Hear, O Israel. That's what he says. Hear, O Israel. Listen to respond. So when God is going to say something, it's in our decision to respond to God that we're going to do something with what he is asking of us. How often we'll get upset at people, we'll get upset at uh, our children or other people uh, or, or our spouse, and because of being upset, we no longer are able to respond with heart. Now we're responding with a thing called emotion. Emotion. Um, I think we, we begin noticing emotion at a very early age. Very early, even when we're babies. A friend of mine was telling me that um, his, his daughter just doesn't want to listen sometimes. And, and daddy will say, no, don't do that. And we'll walk around and turn around and say, no, you don't do that. And right now it's cute. 
It's so cute. Because she's only like you know, a year and a half, two years old. It's so cute. You fast forward the tape to the teenage years, no longer cute. That's not good. That's not, that's, that, that. It starts at an early age. Our emotions start at an early age. And that's where God begins to correct us through parenting. It's through that early age and then our toddler age and then go into our elementary days and, of course, our teenage years and even to our young adult years. But even in our later 30s, 40s, 50s, 60s, and 70s and beyond, don't we still deal with emotions? We just try to hide it better. We try to hide it better. Even in our marriages, we're going through some emotions, and, and all, we ha- all we have to, like, like there, there are certain, like, it's like emotional warning signs. So if you're, if you're dating right now or you're recently married, some of the emotional warning signs sounds like this. It's the, some of you are professionals at it. Like, you're so good at it. And us husbands are oblivious. You okay, honey? Yeah. We register in our mind, everything's fine. Everything's cool. As men, sometimes we, we try our very best to control our anger, our emotions, and we just kind of like, <sighs> like a pit bull just waiting to pounce on that tiny little chihuahua on the other side of the fence. Just, we, we <sighs> now there's the other side. There's not only the anger side, but there's the, the actual emotional side of of. Trauma or, trauma or drama, either way. We were watching a movie, and I forget what movie it was. Uh, probably some type of Disney movie. And I'm there with my grandchildren, and our family are there. And I'm watching, and there's this, this you know, I, I get, when, when it's movies, I, I, I pour myself into movies. I, 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 I go into the movie. I, I'm one of the extras. So I'm watching the movie, and there's this emotional part. And right when it becomes quiet, it's like, my grandson. Papa, are you crying? <laughs> the popcorn is spicy. <laughs> but God created us to be emotional creatures. Whether it's on the, we're going to have anger, or it's going to be on the other side of where our hearts are touched. Nothing wrong with our emotions. But what God is looking for is what's going to control our actions. Is it going to be heart first, or is it going to be emotions first because that's going to determine the outcome of everything we do you know our emotions actually respond quicker than our faith does that's why the bible says be slow to anger slow to speak be quick to listen because it's in that time of processing that we're able to respond heart first that our emotions are going to be there, and you're going to process it with God. You're going to, you're going to say things. You're going to say, God, but it's not my fault. But what about that person? Oh, that's so unfair. Oh, they didn't tell me this, or that's, they didn't communicate this. She didn't communicate this. He didn't communicate this. They didn't even tell me. You're going to go through these the emotions, but let the emotions kind of roll, deal with it, and then process it with the Lord. Say, okay, Lord, I don't want to respond with my emotions. I want to respond heart first. It's exactly what he was teaching the, the Israelites He's saying, you're so quick to rebel. But hear, O Israel, the Lord your God, the Lord is one. Jesus prayed in John chapter 17 in the New Testament that we would be one with God just as he is one with the Father. What he was saying is that we would be in this relationship with God because unless we're in that relationship with God, our emotions are going to control us rather than a heart for God. Like Pastor Tom was praying earlier that we, God loves a cheerful giver. God looks at the heart when we give to him. Why? Because it's never the amount. It's always the heart behind what we're giving to God. And so it is in our daily obedience with him. 
When, in, when Deuteronomy chapter 10 tells us, for the Lord your God is God of gods and Lord of lords, the great God, mighty and awesome, who shows no partiality and accepts no bribes, he defends the cause of the fatherless and the widow and loves the foreigner residing among you, giving them food and clothing, and you are to love those who are foreigners, for you yourselves who were foreigners in Egypt, fear the Lord your God and serve him. Hold fast to him and take your oaths in his name. When God is speaking this, he's saying this because he knows that our emotions are going to get the best of us. So he says, don't hang on to your emotions. Hold fast to him and take your oaths in his name. Not in the name of anger, not in the name of jealousy or distrust, but in his name. Why? Because he's faithful. And we can only stay faithful when we're connected to the one who is faithful. Hold fast to him, not our failures, not our circumstances, not, not a scenario that we put together in our mind or what we think the future is going to be like, and definitely, definitely not our emotions. We don't want to hang on to that. So respond. Respond heart first to obey him. Review often what God has already spoken. And then the, the last thing, just refuse to settle. Refuse to settle. What that really means is that we're not settling for less than God's very best. What we're saying to God is, I know you have a future for me. It's with a purpose. It's for a hopeful future. Filled with your promises and it's for my good, not for evil. Refuse to settle lest we settle for less than God's very best and eventually, just like the Israelites, started to rebel. They just, they, they settled. They're like, okay, we're here. We're fine. We're good. We got out of Egypt. Now what? Now what, is, now, now what Moses? What are we going to do now? And they kept complaining. There were some days that when they would, they would break camp or they would, they would set up camp, and then the Bible says that very day the cloud would move or the pillar of fire would move, and they would have to break down, sometimes in the very same day. Now imagine if you went camping. You set up your entire household. And then that night, here comes the leader, and they blow the trumpets. Okay, we're moving. What? I just, I just settled in. I just, I just look. I just look at, look at, look at my front porch. I settled in. We're, you said that we we're gonna camp here. Yeah, yeah. But the, the pillar of fire is moving. The cloud is moving. But I just settled in. My kids are sleeping. Don't you wake up my kids? We're, we're good to go. It's like Moses is saying. But we have to follow the pillar of fire and the cloud. That's the presence of God. They forgot who they were following and where they were going. Because they were content with just settling. They're out of slavery. And I think sometimes even as believers, we settle for less than God's very best. Because we've been forgiven. We've been forgiven. Jesus died for my sins, so I can do whatever I want. And God is saying, no, no, don't settle. Don't settle. Keep following my spirit. Yeah, but God, I'm so comfortable here. We're good. I, I don't want to change anything. It's, 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 we're fine. No, no, no. But we're going somewhere. I'm taking you somewhere. Yeah, but I'm good right here, God. I have this nice tent. Uh, I, I just made my porch and everything. I just swept everything out. You know how much dust there is in the desert? It's endless, God. And God says, but this is not your final destination. This is not where you're supposed to settle. I have the promised land in store for you. So don't settle for tents. I'm building you to be a, a holy nation. That you're royalty with me. Don't settle for less than my very best. Sometimes we settle for whatever our health is at at the moment. We settle for our attitude our demeanor. And sometimes we say it like this, because I think we do this often, even with believers. We'll pray for people, but even in that prayer, we're thinking, my goodness, they've been with the Lord for 40 years. How come they're not changing? They're still the same. They're still snapping. Same thing. And we say these things because they're, they're expectations. And then, then we say this, but that's just how Sheldon is. That's just, that's just how he is. And we buy into that also. We, we say to ourselves, that just is the way I am. God loves me just the way I am. 
God loves me just as I am. I can come to him just as I am. And we say that because God does. He loves me when I come to him just as I am. But he loves me too much to leave me there. Yeah, he loves us just the way we are. But he loves us too much to keep us just the way we are. And I think if we catch that and we grab on to that promise of God that he's taking us into the promised land of who he's making us to be, then we won't, we won't settle. We, we will refuse to settle in every area of our life, in our relationships, our finances, our walk with the Lord, even, even with our relationship with him. Uh, Noel Campbell, some of you know who that is. Noel Campbell was a part of the uh, process of bringing us as a church from the boys club, it's boys and girls club, but at that time it was the boys club, and we were in a gym as a church, we were renting, and then we were building here, but Noel Campbell was someone who was helping Pastor Wayne Cordero at that time in the 80s to build leaders and, and develop leadership teams, and then to help move here. And Noel, Noel Campbell passed away um, maybe close to 10 years ago, I'm not sure exactly when, but I remember when he was, we were already here, and, uh, we, and then we were at a conference somewhere, and I saw Noel, and, you know, he's just standing around, and it was during a break, and no one was talking to him, so I thought, this is my chance to talk to Noel Campbell. He's, he's one of, to me, one of the pillars of this church, uh, one of the pillars of our church. So I went up to him, and I said, hey, Noel, um, if you could do your life all over again, what would you do differently? And then he stood there. And I'm thinking, I wonder if he heard me. I wonder if he... <laughs> so I'm waiting. And then he kind of shifted and he, he, he went... And he smiled. And then he said... I would have loved Jesus more. And I, I walked away thinking, this man is probably the person that I know who loved Jesus the most. But here he is at his age at that time, and he's, he's not even settling with even his love for Christ. May we be the same, that we would refuse to settle even in our love for Jesus Christ. Deuteronomy chapter 1, verses 7 and 8. And I'll close with this. So Jamie, you can come to the keyboard. It says this, it's time to break camp and move on. Go to the hill country of the Amorites and to all the neighboring regions, the Jordan Valley, the hill country, the western foothills, the Negev, the coast, and the coastal plain. Go to the land of the Canaanites and to Lebanon and all the way to the great Euphrates River. Look, I am giving this land to you. Go in and occupy it, for it is the land the Lord swore to give to your ancestors, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and to all their descendants." That's the whole point to the book of Deuteronomy. That it is time to break camp and move on. And God said, he, and he names all these places, the hill country, the valley, the coastal plain, the Euphrates River, the Negev, the desert plains. In other words, God is saying, no matter where you go, so long as you head in the direction I want you to, it's going to be far off better than where you are today. You just keep following me. Stay faithful to me. And don't settle. Keep reviewing often what I've already spoken because my word will not return void. It will always accomplish what I set it out to accomplish and what it was supposed to do. But it's going to require your heart because your emotions will tell you otherwise. Your thoughts will tell you something else. The devil will try to come in to steal, kill, and destroy. But it's your heart when it's in my hands, I'm able to guide you through the valleys, through the deserts, through the Euphrates River, through anything that would be an obstacle. I will be able to do this for you. 
you stay faithful to me because I will always be faithful to you. Let me end with this, Deuteronomy chapter 25, verse 4. It's kind of a weird scripture to end with. It says, you must not muzzle an ox to keep it from eating as it treads out the grain. You know, God is speaking. He's saying, don't stop the ox while it's working. So he's saying, don't, don't stop my spirit from working in your life by saying, it's, that's good enough. I'm settling for where I'm at. Not that life isn't good, but because only God is good. That we can say to him, Lord, I trust you. You're taking me somewhere. I don't know where it is, but it's time to break camp. And it's time to move on. Would you pray with me? Bow your heads for a moment. Lord God, faithfulness, when we come to that word, sometimes there are many things attached to it. It's attached to it is sometimes our past, maybe even our unfaithfulness with someone else, or maybe someone was unfaithful to us. Maybe, maybe we felt that you were unfaithful to us and you didn't come through with the things we were asking of you or, or a promise that you have in your word or, or maybe even healing. And we have a difficult time with understanding your faithfulness. But tonight, Lord, we're not going to look at our circumstances, our emotions, or the issues facing us to determine if we're going to be faithful. We're going to look to you to hold fast to you on your faithfulness. You love us so much that you're willing to repeat to us what you've already spoken. You're willing to give us once again a second chance. So help us to always respond heart first. That we would be people who review often what you've already spoken. Help us to be people who as we're being faithful to you and you will always be faithful to us, that we just refuse to settle for anything less than your very best in our personal walk with you, in our, in our marriages, our families. Help us to become who you promised us to be, that we look more and more like Jesus. Help us to love you more every day. We pray this in Jesus' name, and we all said together, amen, amen. Well, we serve a good God. He says, love me with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. He's the one that's going to provide the way, and he's going to make it so that we're able to stay faithful to him. Just keep your eyes on him. He's the one that keeps us going. Amen.